All right, and go ye kids, uh, go ye, and the rest of us, let's turn back once again to the Sermon on the Mount, and I, I will tell you, uh, as preparing this time through the Sermon on the Mount, it has put things in a very, very different perspective uh, for me, I hope for you as well. And uh, we are moving rather rapidly, only 11 lessons, and we're already to chapter 6. But what we are doing here is Jesus is giving, has given us the outline for the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. It's not just some uh, little connection there in the front. And he is explaining each part of, of having these blessings in our lives. Uh, being poor in spirit is truly understanding that we cannot attain to the righteousness that uh, God's grace demands. Uh, mourning is the way that we should behave. Uh, after understanding that we cannot save ourselves and uh, meekness is... Those passages there where it talks about turning the other cheek and, and letting yourself be taken advantage of when you're sued in law and all. This is what meekness is all about. And it's summed up here in uh, these last few verses of chapter 5 that says, be, the last verse, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. And now we move on to blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. And, and as we went through this beatitude, this level of blessing, we, we, we brought out before how that hungering and thirsting are natural human uh, uh, desires or needs. If, if you find yourself in a position where you don't want to eat and you're not hungry, something is definitely wrong with your body. Um, most of us have the opposite problem. We eat and then we think we need to eat again and then, uh, you know, uh, get in reach with your inner hobbit. What is that? About seven meals a day, I think. Most of us would uh, not have a problem with that. Uh, the only problem is the scale would have a problem with that, Right. But hungering and thirsting after righteousness. How do you do that? Uh, most people approach it this way. Oh, oh, I just, I feel like I need righteousness. Yes, yes, yes. I, I feel it. That's not it, what's being spoken about here. How, how many of you get in tune with your need for lunch? I mean, it just happens, doesn't it? You, you don't have to. Boy, this afternoon, uh, today is the, was the perfect day for a Sunday afternoon nap, was it not? Uh, all that nice humidity and just dark clouds and oh, it, it, just waking up was terrible. Uh, uh, I'll tell you what, when I did wake up, there was, there was a deep desire in my heart. I did not have to fight it. Coffee. Uh, strong coffee. Uh, uh, otherwise, I may still have been up there somewhere. Uh, but 
drinking water. There are uh, people that say, oh, you need eight, eight ounce glasses of water every day and you're supposed to drink and drink and drink and drink. And I, I, talk, I, I can't answer for all of that, but I talked to my doctor one time. I said, now, what is this? I said, I cannot drink that much water in one day, not unless it's got coffee beans brewed in, brewed in it. Then, then he said, don't drink that much coffee. Uh, but the simple thing is your body desires water. It's amazing. Uh, I, tr- I took the little boys out. We're practicing, trying to practice for the bike trip with uh, Jason and, uh, and, and Joseph, trying to get them ready to see if they can go on the bike trip in June. And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, Philip had two bottles of water on his bike, and Joey had a bottle of water on his bike, and I had a bottle of water in my knapsack, and they all came back empty. Uh, it was rather warm Friday afternoon. There's a natural need for this. Now, Jesus takes two things here when he is dealing with hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Giving and prayer. Isn't it interesting? He picks the two things that God has given to us, two opportunities for us to show our worship back toward God. That's what prayer and giving is, isn't it? And giving has often been a, a way of seeking glory for the giver. How many of you have been to the New York Public Library on Fifth Avenue there, 42nd Street? If you walk up that main staircase in the front of the building, what do you see? You see shrines, literally shrines engraven in the wall with the name of the Astor family who gave a huge donation. And, and I can't, there's two or three family names that are there. Uh, they call that philanthropy. Uh, why do people give? Why does Bill Gates feel so guilty that he's got to give away all of his money? Well, maybe because some of it was gotten not necessarily the most uh, righteous method, and now he's facing his end in eternity, and, and he wants people to remember him. He wants a legacy, and so what is he doing? He's giving, and what do people do? Oh, he's such a good man. He gives so much money. And what do people do with big amounts of money that are given to them, especially government buildings and programs, they waste it. Uh, I'll tell you, even on a microcosm, what happens to uh, students at Bible college whose parents pay for everything? I'll tell you what, they waste a lot of the time there because they don't have to work and they don't have to do things. You know, giving is something that God has offered to us an opportunity to hunger and thirst after righteousness. How do we do that? Well, let's read through the text here. 
It says, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have the glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thy alms may be in secret. And thy Father, which seeth in secret himself, shall reward thee openly. Could I challenge you that this was the problem in Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira? How many of you are familiar with that story? We'll be coming up on it in a couple of months in our Sunday school time. They wanted, people were giving, they were selling property and bringing in the the uh, proceeds from that sale, laying it at the apostles' feet as an offering to God. And, and there was actually a great prosperity in the church at Jerusalem and they were... Uh, taking care of people who could not take care of themselves. And it was a wonderful thing. Didn't last very long, did it? Why, why didn't it last long? Because even in the church of God, human nature steps in, does it not? And Ananias and Sapphira thought saw an opportunity for people to think better of them. What really were they doing? They were stealing worship that belongs to God. And that's why the punishment was so incredibly severe. Now, giving is supposed to be a simple, honest way to tell God, thank you for what you've given me. Uh, giving takes many forms of worship. You hear me talk about missions giving all the time. In fact, I spend very, very little time uh, on our regular sermon and preaching time talking about offerings and giving. And there's a reason for that. It is we live in the most selfish city on the face of the earth. Would you agree with me on that? I mean, this city is all about money. And I, I cannot tell you how many people over the years pass out a gospel tract and they say, oh, yeah, churches are all about money. And, and I, I tell them, ours is it. Oh, really? I said, we take only one offering on Sunday morning a week. We do that on purpose. It's because we don't want anyone to be able to say our church is all about money. But I'll tell you what, our church has done some fantastic things over the years with money, with giving. And there comes a point when our our missions giving, I don't know if you've reached this or not, I pray that you would. That the ability to give, you exhaust. You get to that limit where you cannot give anymore. And then there's an opportunity for you to pray and ask God to enable you by faith to do something that is beyond your ability. I'll tell you what, you can't, you cannot, uh, uh, it's hard to put in words the blessings and the wonder when God is giving you something to give back to Him. 
Does that sound like righteousness? What is the root of all evil? Is money the root of all evil? No, if it were, we couldn't take an offering in church. God wouldn't accept an offering if money were the root of all evil. What is the root of all evil? The love of money. Do you think that's why Jesus put giving first as he was explaining hungering and thirsting after righteousness? Because if we get, if we get that thing with possessions and money and and we get that in order. If God has your heart, we're going to deal with that in a little bit when we deal with pureness of heart. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I'll tell you, you want to know why I am excited about Heartland Baptist Bible College? I'll tell you what, I've invested a great deal of treasure there. Uh, my eighth child is getting ready to leave me and start Bible college. Uh, that's treasure, my friend. And, and to, we, we invest those things. Our church has invested a, a great deal of money into seeing that Heartland Baptist Bible College is what it ought to be. Uh, some, many times missionaries will come and say, have you ever traveled to the foreign field? And I say, well, no, not really. Um, it, it's not that I'm against it, but I'm not going to take a $20,000 missions trip when we could take that money and support how many missionaries. It, it's hard for me to justify. Somebody said, well, it'll change your heart. I'll tell you what, all I have to do is come up here and stand in the pulpit and look out over our congregation. And I have the whole world right here. I mean, I would like, maybe someday we'll do that. But we've got to be able to justify that first. I don't think we can right now. But I'll tell you, our giving, when you pray to God, and ask Him to give you something to give. When you've already tithed, when you've already given free will offerings, when you've given what you can give, and you say, Lord, I want to do more. And begin to build a faith-promise-giving relationship with God. I don't know how to define seeking, hungering, and thirsting after righteousness more than that. A, one thing that we just need to give, as long as we're talking about perversions of giving, when, when we give expecting people to look at us differently or lift us up in their uh, admiration for us as we give, we are taking the only reward we will get right now for that giving. When we simply and honestly give to God as an act of worship between us and God alone, it opens a door for God to give back to us in miraculous and unbelievable ways. I, I will say this. I, I don't believe God would have blessed our church with union if we had not sacrificed and given as we have. 
those are, and union was and still is a, a great weight. It's, it's a burden as well, but I'll tell you what, how many of you want to stop what we've done over there? I, I'm thankful to God for what he has done at Union Baptist Church. Amen? And what we want is we want God to be able to trust us with these kinds of things. And that happens when we as a church and individuals in that church give God's way. By the way, we don't ever give to get. Don't listen to John Avazzini and Benny Hinn and all these people that say, Oh, you put $10 in the offering plate and God is under an obligation to give you $100 back. Uh, that is foolishness, my friend. If we are not to seek the glory of men when we give, should we give and seek God to do special things for us as well? I mean, that sounds more perverted to me than seeking the glory of men. How about you? When we give to God because He is God, and let me tell you this as we go through this thing here, that doesn't happen until God does a work in your heart first. How many of you have experienced the Holy Spirit of God prying your fingers from off your closed wallet? I mean, that that is... A work that God wants to do in your heart. And no, we're not saying, hey, give everything to Jesus. You give your life to Jesus. He is asking for a small portion of what He's given us. He wants you to pay your bills. He wants you to have that abundant life. But abundant life is not a list of possessions. An abundant life is not just getting what you want. An abundant life is being able to have something to give in a meaningful way to the God that we worship. Giving is worship. And when we allow God to do that work in our hearts... When we approach this idea of giving as hungering and thirsting after righteousness, that our giving to God would be a reflection of His work in our hearts, you'll be a cheerful giver. I promise you. And you'll give far more than you think you can give. Because what you're doing is you're tapping into God's resources. God loves to do things that defy human explanation. Could we say amen to that? And when we allow God to do the work in our heart, that's when God rewards us in ways that we cannot put a price tag on. I'll tell you what, you can buy happiness, but you can't buy joy. 
You can buy a lot of medicines. You can buy a lot of treatment. You can buy an appearance of health. But you can't buy one moment of life. I believe it was Queen Elizabeth, one of the most powerful sovereigns in history. Her dying words were, My kingdom for another moment of life. Do you think she knew where she was going to spend eternity? It was the martyr Stephen who had absolutely nothing that says, Into thy hands I commend my spirit. Amen. You see, the Bible says, If we will give unto the Lord, asking Him to do that work in our heart, so that our giving is a reflection of our worship to Him. This, this is hungering and thirsting after righteousness. The second is prayer. You know, I don't think that, that we are, uh, that anyone could accuse us of not saying enough prayers at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. Uh, we have lots of prayers. Uh, we have, this is our prayer meeting. In a, in a few moments, we're going to get break up into little groups and and take that prayer list and and go over that. And I I I am thankful for that. But how long and how often has prayer been used as a public show? I never will forget as a young student in uh, grade school or, yeah, it would have been um, junior high, uh, high school actually, Ronald Reagan's first inauguration, they brought uh, televisions into the classroom and we, we watched the inauguration and Billy Graham prayed for that inauguration. And I'm sitting here going, wow, look at this. And he was reading it off of sheets of paper. And he was turning the pages. I mean, he must have prayed for ten minutes. And it was all written out word for word. And I, I just remember as a young person looking at that and going, well, What is this? Why would you have to write your prayer out? unless you were specifically directing your prayer to be heard of men and not of God. I don't know about you, but that troubled me. still does, even when I think about it. And uh, I think it was Charles Haddon Spurgeon that said, he who prays regularly at home does not need to pray long in public. Yeah, wow. And I've heard public prayers over the years and that I'm sitting there going, wow. Was that guy talking to God or was he talking so that I would think he was talking to God? Prayer is often just like giving. 
It's something that man has used to elevate himself. You know, the problem with prayer is you ought not to be, the person offering the prayers ought not to be the center of attention. Uh, The real idea of prayer is to draw attention to the person we're offering the prayers to. Amen? And, and, And as I was looking at prayer is a reflection of the impact of God's words upon your soul. That's really what prayer is. Now, how does God's Word reflect from your soul? What's that look like? Well, the Bible says we ought to pray for the missionaries. Dear God, bless the De Cavallos. They were here just last week. And bless the next missionary, and bless the next missionary, and bless the next missionary, and bless the next missionary. Is that how our God's Word reflects from our souls? Now, granted, we have over 70 missionaries, and if you're going to pray for them all, you cannot take two or three minutes apiece, or you'll be here for an hour and a half, two hours, three hours. What? No, that'd be two and a half hours there. Um, so, but what, what we want to do with prayer. Now, as we look, let me read this passage here before I forget. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to the Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. Now, as we talk about hungering and thirsting after righteousness, we talk about giving. We talk about prayer. How many of you have ever seen uh, pictures or actually the uh, prayer rolls in the Buddhist monasteries and things? Um, What they do is they take prayers and they write them on pieces of paper and, and they file them inside a little drum... And as you spin the drum, you're supposed to be reciting all the prayers that are inside that drum. So you come by and you spin this one, spin this one, and you're praying. You say, that doesn't make any sense. Well, how about this one? I'm walking past the church. Da, 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 da. Oh, oh, wait a minute. It's uh, this way first, right? Uh, and it depends on whether you're Orthodox or Catholic, which way you go. The genuflection is an abbreviated prayer. But what you can do is you can light a candle and the candle will pray for you, right? No. You see, prayer is talking to God, my friend. If I were to ask you how many of you want your prayers to be answered, every hand would go up. Well, how do we get our prayers answered? Well, do you think it might help if we stopped 
treating God as if he was ignorant of the situation we are in? How many of you have prayed emergency prayers to God? Dear God, you don't know what a problem I'm in. Do you know how insulting that is to God? Uh, he, it says right here, Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask Him. Would you not give God the benefit of the doubt that if you find yourself in a difficult situation, that He may have a purpose and a plan for you being there and that you could trust God? Hello? Don't treat God as if He doesn't know what's going on. Every once in a while, I'll have one of my kids come running up and Dad, Dad, do you know what's going on? And I'm like, of course I know what's going on. Will you just stop the hysteria? Hysteria doesn't solve it. But there's water on the floor and the toilet's running. Did you turn off the valve? No, go do it. But I'll get wet. Well, you're going to get more wet if you don't. So turn off the valve. It's not a big deal here. Let's slow down. We'll fix the problem. Has it ever occurred to you that God has nothing that has ever occurred to him? Amen? He already knows. So, it it might help us in our prayers. It will help us. If we don't treat God as if He's ignorant of what's going on. The next one I have in our outline here is, and this is so important, do not treat God as if He is a miser withholding His blessings and He will give them to you if you beg in the right way. That's not the God of heaven. Oh, God, please, please, I, I know you can bless us and, and solve this problem if you would only. Wait a minute. He that cometh to God must believe what? That he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. When we stop believing that God is good, we lose our faith. And God cannot and will not answer those kinds of prayers. How, what kind of heart do you need that prays this way? Uh, How about one that is hungering and thirsting after righteousness? You see... And this is the one that gets me more angry than anything else. But, verse 7, But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. And what do we do? Oh, I'm not going to be like the heathen and spin my prayer wheel. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we repeat the Lord's Prayer over and over and over again. Or we pray the 23rd Psalm a hundred times. 
Uh, you know what you've just done? You've taken God's direction for prayer and turned it into a vain repetition. Now, we are running out of time, and, and those of you that have been through the discipleship, we, we take a whole lesson and just go through the Lord's Prayer, phrase by phrase, line by line, what it means. If you have those notes, could I encourage you, take some time this week, get out your discipleship book, go through Lesson 7 on prayer, if you would, and, and, and just review those things. But each phrase of this prayer, of this model, this pattern, uh, if you're into building this blueprint uh, of, of our prayers, instructions, every phrase highlights a different aspect of hungering and thirsting after righteousness. I've never thought of the Lord's Prayer that way until I put this together. But it is. Our Father, which art in heaven. You know what? i got to stop appealing to myself and my reason to solve my problems. My prayers are not directed to a church or saint or some other organization or force or whatever. My prayers are directed to the God that created everything that now is out of nothing. His only tool is the power of His Word. And why am I worried? Because I'm human. Because it's so easy to forget how good God is. Because it's a whole lot easier to be satisfied with the junk food of this world, spiritually speaking, than it is to ask God and develop that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Are, are we all together on this? Could you go like that and, and know that you're with me here? Because I, I don't want to take an, an inordinate amount of time here, but hallowed be thy name. Do you think if we prayed and asked God to give us an opportunity to hallow and make his name holy this week, that God wouldn't answer that prayer? Do you, do you think that God wants His name lifted up and made special and separate from all other names? I mean, read Philippians chapter 2. Uh, that is the goal uh, of all creation. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. It has ever crossed your mind that God's will has never ever in all of eternity been transgressed in heaven. Only on earth. But he's going to set that right one of these days. Amen? You know, we can get in trouble seeking for our daily bread, can we not? I remember one person came and said, Pastor, my boss has asked me to lie for him, and I told him I'd never do it again. He said, wait, wait, wait a minute, you already did it once? Well... Yeah, I had. No, you didn't have to. You see, sometimes we're more afraid of losing our job or being in trouble with man than we are being in trouble with God. You know what the solution is? 
hungering and thirsting after righteousness. What's the promise? For they shall be... What is it? Say it out loud, please. I can't hear you. The air conditioning. How about filled? Amen? That's the, that's the rest of that beatitude or blessing. For they shall be filled. God will fill you. He will satisfy that hunger. He wants to create that desire so that He can satisfy it with Himself. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness can only be fulfilled by the presence of God Himself in your life. And there's nothing more that we need than that. That's all we need. Giving, prayer. Two things to illustrate. Two, two areas of our life that we can explore. And uh, we're not going to take any more time, but I, I, uh, I don't know if you'll remember this series or not, but I, I sure enjoyed it. It was, uh, oh, years ago. Uh, we spent about eight or ten Sunday nights on the art of the apothecary, talking about the art that is in prayer. You know, there is a duty to pray, but there's an art form to it as well. Do you know that the same is true with giving? There, there is a duty to give. There's a responsibility in the life of every Christian... But you can get past that duty and become an artist. Giving in ways that only God takes note of and gets glory from. I'll tell you. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness. It says, blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I'll tell you what, wouldn't it be wonderful to be filled? Talk about blessings. You, you cannot know until you've been there and lived it. But when you have, wow. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly